morning. Good morning. Good morning. Jeez, yeah. Okay, I'm in. I am Jude. I'm an elder here. I get the awesome privilege of serving as an elder here, and I love doing it, and I also get to give you guys a sermon today, which I'm excited about and a little bit nervous. Um, But if this is your first time, I hope you feel welcomed and loved here, and I hope you come back next week, because Austin and Dave will be back, and... (laughs) They're just so lazy. That's why I'm taking it here. If they just had more work ethic, I could be at home right now watching Arsenal. Anyway. All right, let's get started. So I am, I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous for a couple reasons. Uh, two reasons, mainly one is because I'm covering the topic of defensiveness and defenselessness. And I can already tell by just me bringing defensiveness up, somebody in here definitely pushed back. It's a weird topic, man. It makes you feel like you should be defensive, right? So another big reason is because when I was preparing for this, I had an aha moment, right? You know those moments, man, that just kind of, and it just kind of snaps you into attention. I had a little voice inside of me while I was preparing for this that was saying, oh no, everything you've worked for Your PhD and everything is in question up here. Don't embarrass your family. I texted my brother just texting me, and he said, I'm going to watch this later, and it better be good. (laughs) Jeez, man, I love you too. Golly. Um, But you do, you know, I I was saying to myself, like, you're an award-winning professor, man. You are a best-selling author. You better go up there and show them why. And I realized that that was fear-talking. Right, And my defensiveness, fear crept in, and my unconscious mind betrayed me. Right? I started to think I needed to write a good sermon to protect myself, to keep myself safe. Right? And that's not what this is about at all. Right? This is about connection. More alarmingly is that I stopped trusting God. I stopped trusting his plan for us today. And so... Here's my invitation, because I'm going to try to do this myself. I'm going to spend the next couple minutes that we have together with my guard down. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable, and I'm going to invite you guys to do the same thing as well. Right? And we'll get through this together. We can take mutual responsibility for the meaningfulness of our time together today. Right? That way I got 50% is your fault if this goes wrong. <laughs> it's in the contract. <laughs> So I'm going to start by giving you guys the takeaways, right? Because I like, I'm weird. I think I frustrate my wife with this. I like to know the answer before you tell me the story. So if she's telling, I don't want to know, do I have to save someone? Is the house on fire? No. Okay, continue. You know, so I'm going to give you guys the end at the beginning. So one, in John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, we learn that part of God's plan for us is to have a healthy relationship filled with love. We also know that we messed that up. Our defensiveness, our fear of the unknown messes up this part of God's plan. And so if we are to have the kind of relationships that God plans for us to have, then we need to be less defensive, more trusting in him so that we can be vulnerable and authentic with each other. And so today we're going to learn about Jesus' defenselessness. We're going to learn about how he got out of God's way. We're going to learn about how he trusted God, 
God's plan for him to be in an eternal loving relationship with us. All right. So let me start with a prayer and then we'll jump right in. God, as we delve into the depths of surrender and defenselessness, we ask for your wisdom and understanding to permeate our hearts and minds, God. Help us to release the burdens we carry, the worries that consume us, God, and the self-reliance that hinders our relationship with you. May we find solace in knowing that surrender does not signify weakness, but rather an act of trust and dependence in your unwavering love and guidance, God. Empower us today to relinquish our desire for control and to submit our lives entirely into your capable hands. Amen. So I chose a little offbeat scripture to read. It's a little weird, but I think it kind of sparks the conversation, right, on triggers and defensiveness, right? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We have different versions of the Bible, but it goes a little something like this. Every time I say that, I feel like I'm about to, I don't know, freestyle rap or something. I don't know. I don't even know why I said anyway. Okay, so verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages. He taught in their synagogues and told people the good news about God's kingdom. He healed all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. Jesus saw the many people and felt sorry for them because they were worried and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd to lead them. Jesus said to his followers, there is such a big harvest of people to bring in, but there are only a few workers to help harvest them. God owns the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to help gather his harvest. And so Jesus called his 12 followers together. He gave them power over evil spirits and power to heal every kind of disease and sickness. There are, these are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, also called Peter. Andrew, the brother of Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James. Philip, Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew, the text collector, James, the son of Elpheus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who handed Jesus over to his enemies. Man, we were feeling pretty good. At least I was feeling pretty good throughout that list. It kind of felt like the Avengers were assembling. Here we go, man. Let's reap the harvest or whatever, you know. But we get to the end. Those last two words, and Judas. Man, those last two words can sometimes be the most deflating and demoralizing words for our mental health and trust. Those last two words. I have a good friend of mine who was a previous professor and who's now a faculty member with me, Dr. Ray Erie, who calls those and Judas moments old-time feelings, right? We have those old-time feelings, man. It's like when you're walking a dog and you're just zoning out or driving home from work. You've been following the same path every day. You zone out and then boom. A memory that's just been rattling around in your unconsciousness seeps out and kind of shakes the foundation of your faith, right? We all have those moments, right? And like Judas, they symbolize betrayal and fear of the unknown because trauma can't tell time, man. Trauma has no watch. It has no idea. You could still be 10 years old and trying to keep yourself safe, or you can be now an adult, in a marriage with kids, still trying to keep yourself safe, right? It cannot tell time at all, right? And we all, we all have those things. We all have those triggers. But as I was preparing for this, I realized that 
man, it's not the triggers. It's not the moments that betray us. It's what those moments cause us to believe about ourselves, others, and God. That's the moment. Those are the things that keep us in our defensiveness, right? There's a quote by this Greek philosopher whose name I've been practicing. Y'all, I've been practicing this name. His name is Nikos Kazantzakis. And in his book, The Last Temptation of Christ, he, he, he's going to point us in the right direction, I think, of today when he says, if the soul within us does not change, Judas, he's talking to the little Judas inside of all of us, the world outside of us will never change. The enemy is within. The Romans are within. Salvation starts from within. So let's dive a little bit deeper on that topic. More specifically, I'm going to try to tackle Judas's betrayal and Jesus's trial with Pontius Pilate. As a kid, I said on Pontius Pilate. I don't know if anybody made that mistake. It's like, where's Pontius Pilate? It's a person. It's a person. It's not a place. So I'm going to cover chapters uh, 14 and 15. I'm not going to read the full verse and chapter. Uh, I'm going to just kind of paint a picture because I feel like that helps me understand a little bit better. And I'm going to focus on Jesus's defensiveness, right? But before we start, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable, right? So I don't know if I've been through a lot. Maybe after I had kids, I started to see Jesus a little bit differently. I think when I grew up, I saw Jesus throughout the story as this meek lamb who kind of floated towards crucifixion, you know, taking ridicule. But now I see him a little bit differently. I see him in my mind as Denzel Washington in American Gangster. Well. <laughs> Man, tell me that's not the look of somebody who knows they're about to be betrayed by their best friend, go through a sham trial, and get crucified for us. That's the look in my head that he's going through this with, right? I mean, look at that, man. It's like he's looking right through your soul. That's what I feel. So that's what I'm going to imagine in my head as I'm going through this. You guys can imagine whoever you want, but Denzel has that look. So... On that note, let's whisper and let's witness the gangster of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first scene, right, is in the Last Supper, right? He's with his friends, he's with his boys, people he's been persecuted with, hid with, and he's just breaking bread and washing feet, right? That's what he's doing, right? He's with them all. They've traveled together, they've been through so much, and he says, one of you will betray me. And man, there's so many moments throughout this tale where I'm thinking, God, like, come on, Jesus, like, defend yourself a little bit. Like, show him, show him a little bit of the power, you know? And he doesn't. He always chooses trust over being triggered, right? And when I was reading through this scene, the question came up for me, and this is a question I asked myself and a question I'm going to pose to you guys is, man, sometimes the people with the most power to hurt us are sitting right next to us today. Somebody said, mm, a little bit too quickly. Somebody. <laughs> Bunch of people switching over to the center. <laughs> but do we trust God's plan? Do we trust God's plan enough to still be vulnerable with them even when they're in their most humanness? Right? That's the question I had, right? And so that brings us to the next scene, right? Where Judas. As soon as God says that, as soon as God says somebody's going to betray me, he dips. 
Just like when somebody asks me who makes the best gumbo, your mom or your wife, I'm out of there. I'm not taking that bullet for nobody. <laughs> nobody. I don't even eat gumbo. Gumbo? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. So he's out, right? And we know that he's going to start the betrayal. He's going to collect his 30 pieces of silver, and we'll see him back later in a little bit. So now in the garden, right, Jesus is with his boys. They get up. They go walk. And Jesus says, hey, I got to take a break. I'm going to go off, and I need to be with God. And his friend said, okay. So he goes off, and he's praying hard, hard, hard. I mean, have you ever been in that position Oh my gosh, man. I mean, look at his forms. Those things are, it is tough, man. He's sweating blood up there, literally, right? I mean, I play a lot of golf with Austin, but if we make it to the turn and he goes in the clubhouse to be with Jesus and comes out sweating blood, I'm not getting back in the cart. I love him. I don't want to get blood on my J's. I just can't do it, man. And so Luke chapter 22, verse Uh, 42 through 44, he tells us a little bit about that prayer. He says that Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he isn't saying, okay, get on with it. Just do your thing. He's not saying that. What he's saying here is, you do your job and I'll do mine. You do your job and I do mine. He's taking full responsibility for how he responds to the moment, to the unfolding of God's plan. And it made me wonder, how often do I let God's plan unfold while taking responsibility for how we respond throughout the unfolding? Because sometimes I kind of set it and forget it, pray about it, and then don't change, and then end up right back in the same place that I end up praying about a couple weeks later. We got to take responsibility for ourselves, even throughout God's unfolding, right? So let's move the scene a little bit. He's now, Judas has come back. He's with the guards, right? Uh, Mark 14, 43 through 46. And Judas comes to Jesus and he says, greetings, Rabbi. And he kisses him lightly on the cheek, right? And Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Like, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I want the betrayal to be obvious. I want it to be like, yep, that was messed up. I see that. Everybody sees it. But often, oftentimes, the things that raises my defenses are presented as a pleasantry. Sometimes I'm so stuck in my defensiveness that kindness seems threatening. How often does that happen to you? So now he's with Pontius Pilate, right? He's on trial, right? This is Mark 15, verses 2 through 5. And he's arrested, he's brought, and it's a sham trial. And people are throwing all kinds of accusations at him, right? And Pilate feels pressured, right? Pressured to sentence Jesus to crucifixion. And so he has this conversation with Jesus, right? John chapter 19 tells us a little bit about that conversation, right? Where he says, Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered, and this is probably one of the most gangster moments. He says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It's like when I try to discipline my little boys. I got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They look at me like Jesus looked at Pilate. (laughs) You would have no power over us, man, if it were not given to you from above. And by above, they mean mom. 
get over yourself, man, and give me that apple juice. I want that real OG concentrated stuff. I don't want that watered-down apple juice. <laughs> but these are the moments where I feel like God could have defended himself. He could have said, or Jesus could have defended him. He could have said, you want to see power? Man, I got power. And just lay waste to everybody. But instead, he trusted God's plan for him to be in an eternal, loving relationship with us. Right? He didn't let the circumstances, he didn't let the situation push him into defensiveness, right? He kept his eyes on the plan, right? And so I wondered, how many times have we given power to our situation and circumstances instead of to God? How many times has that happened? How many times have our situations gotten the best of us and kicked us into defensiveness? So let's break defensiveness down a little bit. All right, let's break defensiveness and defensiveness down a little bit. I'm going to get a little nerdy. I'm a psychology professor. I promise it's going to be the appropriate amount of nerdiness. I don't know. Somebody's going to pull me off stage if I get too, too far. But So let's talk a little bit about defensiveness. So defensiveness is like an invisible force field that activates when you sense danger. Now, danger is relative, right? What's dangerous to you may not be dangerous to me, but we all have that signal that says, "Uh uh-oh, you're in danger, put the walls up, right? And while those walls protect you, they also keep everybody away. It keeps you isolated, safe, but alone, right? And so I don't believe everything Freud says, but he has some kind of cool theories, right? And so he tells us that as kids, we go through these checkpoints, right? We go through these checkpoints like, you know, love and belonging. Do our parents love us? A big one is potty training, right? We go through these checkpoints, and if we get stuck, if we don't get the support we needed, we get fixated, right, in these points. And we end up spending our whole lives trying to get the needs that our four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old self needed, right? And so, like potty training, imagine that you were, I'm in it now, oh, i got a two-year-old, so we're trying to get him potty trained. Maybe I just need to process that with y'all a little bit. So I'm just going to stick to what I need. But if you have tips, shoot me an email. Um, and so, like potty training, if he's potty training and he gets stuck, he's making mistakes, we put pressure on him. We don't support him when he makes mistakes. We actually get frustrated when he makes mistakes. Let's say every time he has a poopy diaper, we look at him like, like, a, like he's wasting our time with this, right? He'll get fixated. He'll grow up potentially feeling inherently inadequate, right? He'll grow up feeling like he's constantly too much of a burden. Right? He'll grow up, you can tell this, because this person is usually saying, I'm sorry after everything. Here you go, I'm sorry. Take this, I'm sorry. Constantly. Right? And so Freud said that there's three parts of ourselves, the id, ego, super ego, that helps us kind of uh, process through this stuff. And so let's say, let's start with the super ego. So the super ego is like our moral compass. Right? Let's put God in that seat. Let's put Jesus in that seat, because we want to be like him. Right? That's our compass. Right? In the middle, we have our ego, our conscious selves. This is everybody sitting in their ego. Look under your chair. Your ego is right there. Right? You're sitting in it. Right? This is our conscious self. We're always teetering in between authenticity and self-preservation. Right? Constantly. Right? In that seat, 
right? As vulnerability goes up, trust goes down, we go right into self-preservation and defensiveness, right? So the last seat, the id, this is our unconscious self, right? This is that little person inside of you, that little Judas inside of you that is trying to protect you, that senses danger, that's hyper vigilant about danger, right? We put Judas in that seat because like Judas, our unconscious betrays us. When fear and vulnerability goes up, trust in God's plan goes down. That id doesn't care how it gets its needs met, right? It's actually trying to fool the superego. It's trying to trick the superego, right? And so when we have our guards up, when that little Judas senses danger and puts those walls up, it can look a little something like denial. It can look like blaming, counterattacks. It can look like justification, right? Like those counterattacks are those things where, you know, you've ever shared something with somebody and then a couple weeks later they use your vulnerability as a weapon? Like that's a counterattack, right? It puts that wall up. It makes you not want to share again. Stonewalling is a common one, especially in marriages, where you withhold your emotions to manipulate the person into behaving in the way that you want them to behave. Right? Now, defenselessness. If we were going to sit in that superego seat and try to be like Jesus, defenselessness would look like us dropping our guard. Right? It represents a shift in our allegiance. Right? From this false self to our invulnerable, authentic, true selves. Right? It testifies to the recognition of Christ within us. By laying down our defenses, by surrendering to God's plan for us to be in healthy relationships, we affirm our identification with a self that needs no defense. We lay down the weaknesses and vulnerability of our bodies and egos and tap into a source of strength so great that any attack would be foolish. We don't need to be defensive because Jesus already died defending us. What could we possibly do? What tricks do we know? What tricks does the id know that could possibly match that armor? That's what we need to trust. That's the thing that we stop trusting when we get defensive. When we drop our guard, conversations, relationships look a little bit more open. We're able to accept responsibility. We're able to say, this is what I can do, and I'm going to leave the rest to God. It looks like active listening, like we actually have space to listen, and not just listen to respond, you know, actively listening, pulling the person closer to you. It looks like collaboration and compromise. So here's my takeaway from this, and then we'll get into ways that you can do this for yourself. So our unconscious mind, it tries to outsmart God, right? It tries to outsmart him, right? As if he hasn't seen the need you need before you needed it, right? We forget that sometimes. We forget that there are 7,000 promises in the Bible, and we start worrying about number 7,001, right? So here's the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, it says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We have to make our unconscious conscious so that we can take responsibility for ourselves throughout the unfolding of our 
of his plans, even when we sense danger. So here's a couple ways we can be defenseless. One, we got to do some deep reflection. We got to talk about this, right? We got to do some deep reflection on what is it that I need? Where is that need coming from? And how am I tricking myself into getting it? What makes me scared? We need to start predicting the patterns, right? You can probably pinpoint arguments that you've had about nothing, but it was the same argument. I've been in couples therapy with couples, and they're arguing about a pack of Skittles. And we all know it ain't the pack of Skittles that they're arguing about. And I'm sitting in the chair like, are we still talking about Skittles? Or what's going on? We all have that. We got to seek feedback. We have to have those come to Jesus conversations that we're all afraid of with the people that we trust. Sit down with your boys or your girls or your friends or your small group and ask them, what do I do? How do I push you away? What is it about me that makes you move away from me? What brings you closer to me? And then most of all, we have to trust. We have to trust that we need no defense. We have to face triggering moments believing that our identity is in Christ and not in our egos. Let me pray. Let me close this in prayer. God, grant us the courage to release our own defenses and surrender to your perfect will, recognizing that your plans for us far surpass our own limited understanding. Teach us to find strength in our vulnerability and to rely on your grace, knowing that in our defenselessness, you are our ultimate shield and sword. Amen.